Welcome to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb, helping you find purpose and joy in your life and relationships. For more teaching and resources, visit LargerStory.com. Take your Bible now, if you will, and turn to Exodus chapter 23. Exodus chapter 23 for a few verses. Two brief passages to read to you today. And develop some thoughts on the subject of how frustrating it is that growth in the Lord takes a long time. That's my theme. Exodus 23. God is talking to the people of Israel. And he's telling them that a day is coming when you're going to go into the land of promise. A day is coming when you're going to inherit the blessings that I've promised to you. When this happens, you're going to be able to destroy the enemy that's in the land of Canaan because that land belongs to you. He says in verse 23 of Exodus chapter 23, For my angel will go before you and bring you into the land that God had promised would belong to the Israelites. I'll bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will completely destroy them. You'll inherit what I promised you. Look at verse 29. I will drive them out before you. I will not drive them out. I will not drive them out before you in a single year. That the land may not become desolate, the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. I will drive them out before you little by little until you become fruitful and take possession of the land. You want to drive out the enemy slowly. You're going to move into the realm of spiritual reality. You're going to move into the arena of spiritual maturity slowly, God says. Deuteronomy chapter 9. Take a look at that. You just read that God said, I'm going to defeat the enemy. As you grow to become more like Jesus, which is the picture that we have as the Israelites cross into the land of Canaan, defeating the enemies there, that would, have, that would be an obstacle to their spiritual growth. I'm going to defeat them slowly, he says in the book of Exodus. But in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 1, God again speaking through a servant saying, Hear, O Israel, you are crossing over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than you, great cities fortified to heaven a people great and tall, the sons of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? The battle is going to be fierce. The enemy is strong. Know therefore today that it is the Lord your God who is crossing over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and he will subdue them before you so that you may drive them out and destroy them quickly. God says, I'm going to destroy the enemy quickly. In Deuteronomy. In Exodus, I'm going to destroy the enemy slowly. Now, which is it? When we were in Peru recently, I overheard a conversation. I was kind of the third party to a conversation between two other missionaries, two missionaries, who were talking to each other about a woman that they mutually knew. The one was saying, you recall Mrs. So-and-so? Yes, I do. I haven't seen her for a long time. How is she getting along? Well, the other fellow said, you know, she's been carrying a bitterness problem for about nine years. She's been having a tremendous difficulty with holding a grudge. She's been an angry person for nine years. And just last week, before you came down here, she came to me, this one missionary told the other, and said, I'm over my problem. The Lord has delivered 
me from that bitter spirit. And they rejoiced together about this woman that really had gotten rid of this obstacle to spiritual growth. And I sat there thinking, it took her nine years? You know, they're happy that she's gotten over it. Why shouldn't she have gotten over it eight and a half years ago? What's the matter with her anyhow? They were praising her and I was sitting there feeling critical. Bible says, I'm going to take care of the problems quickly. Then it says, I'm going to take care of the problems slowly. So what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Can we expect when we have problems in our lives, when we have difficulties, hang-ups, obstacles to becoming more like Jesus, obstacles that are getting in the way of our spiritual growth, can we expect that God is going to help us conquer these problems quickly, or are they going to take a long time to yield? The Bible says both. And how do you figure? Well, this morning I want to talk about the subject of slow growth and base it on these passages that I've read. Now, for background, most of you know about this, but let me repeat it anyhow for some who might not. Most of you know that the story of the children of Israel in the Old Testament can serve as a picture of Christian experience today. We have the children of Israel who were sold into bondage in Egypt. They were locked into slavery under the Egyptian rulers. And that's a picture of how you and I were born into the world of sin. We were born belonging to Satan's kingdom. We did not know God. We were born in sin. And we evidenced our slavery to sin by continuing to practice sin as we grew. We became sinners by practice, expressing the fact that we're already sinners by nature. We were in Egypt in picture form. But then God came down to the Israelites and said, You can't get out of Egypt in your own strength, but I'm going to get you out. The way I'm going to get you out is I'm going to have blood shed. The Passover lamb is going to be the way that I'm going to work to draw you out of Egypt. And the picture, of course, in our present day application is that I was a sinner bound in slavery to the world, but God said, Larry, you can't get out of that no matter how hard you try, no matter what kind of a good life you lead, no matter how moral you are, no matter how much you practice your religion, no matter how ethical you might be, no matter what you do, you can't get out of your slavery to sin. You're going to be judged for your sin. You can't solve the problem, but I've solved it for you. I became a man, God said. I became a man named Jesus. I lived the perfect life that you could never live, and I died the death that you deserved. And now if you will simply accept the fact that the blood of Jesus Christ, my son, God speaking, cleanses you from all sin, if you'll accept what Jesus did on the cross as the payment for your sins, you can have your sins forgiven, receive the gift of life, and get out of Egypt. Become a Christian. And you put your faith in Christ. But once you put your faith in Christ, the Lord consistently says, I've taken you out of Egypt to bring you into the land. Out of, to go into, the land of Canaan. So here we have these Christians now in picture form, the Israelites, who are out of Egypt, who crossed the wilderness, and who are supposed to enter into the promised land. And as we study how they tried to enter the promised land, or what happened as they decided to try to make it, as we study their circumstances and crossing over Jordan to get into the land of, you know, where they have their life's all together, where you mature, where you really have your problems knocked, where you're really becoming more like the Lord, where you're more spiritually mature, where your life counts for Him, where your life is full, where your life is rich. As we study the, the Israelites as they crossed over into Jordan, there are many lessons for us as to how we can move into this land of promise, this land of maturity. Moving into that land of maturity, becoming more like Jesus, has a lot of problems. There are a lot of things in my life, as there are many things in your life, that are getting in the way of, of, of conformity to the image of Christ. I'm not all that I should be, not by a long shot. I have problems. We all have difficulties that are blocking us from growing spiritually. Now, can we expect to solve these problems quickly? 
God said in Exodus, I'll drive them out little by little. These enemies in the land of Canaan, these things that will block your moving into the fullness of spiritual experience, I'll drive them out little by little, he says in Exodus. Then he says, I'll drive them out quickly in Deuteronomy. What can, what can we expect as we struggle with the problems that we have trying to become more like Jesus? Quick resolution or long, slow resolution? The Bible seems to say both. In order to understand why the Bible says both and what the lessons are intended, I believe we need to notice three things. Three things which the scripture states in these passages that I read, which if we understand, I believe we're going to get some insight as to how to grow and what this business of growing spiritually is all about. I want you to follow this today. The first insight, the first observation that you must know is this. The enemy who God said would be defeated slowly was a very different enemy than the one God said would be defeated quickly. It's the first thing you have to observe. The enemies are different. Some enemies go out quickly. Some will be defeated slowly. The second observation, and we'll come back and discuss all of these, the second observation is this, that the enemy who was defeated quickly was conquered, was defeated quickly, after the Israelites slowly defeated the other enemy. In other words, the slow victories came first. Then the rapid victories took place. This will all make more sense as we discuss it. The third observation is this, is that God gave a very definite reason why the slow victories were going to be slow. God gave a very definite reason why those problems that you have in your life that don't seem to yield to change, God is, gives a very definite reason why He lets you continue struggling with them and doesn't really seem to move in in a supernatural way and deliver you from this certain group of problems. He gives a reason why a certain enemy takes a long time to defeat. Those are the three points. And I want to discuss them in the rest of the sermon. I have an itch in my head. <laughs> the first point two different enemies there were two different enemies notice in Exodus chapter 23 I'll be asking you to thumb back and forth through a number of scriptures so please stay with me I want you to follow these points if you don't stay with me you won't get the lessons that I trust that God has for us today Exodus 23 you recall that I read the list of the nations that God was talking about in Exodus 23, verse 23. He was talking about the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. He said, now that particular group of nations, I'm going to drive them out little by little. It's going to take a long time to get rid of those people. But then in Deuteronomy chapter 9, who's he talking about? A very different group of people. What he says here, the enemy that I'm going to drive out in a flash, I'm going to destroy them quickly. You're going to have quick victory over this enemy. It's a different enemy. Not the same ones, the Amorites and the Hittites and that bunch. It's a different enemy. The sons of Anak. The three sons of Anak. The Anakim. The big giants. They're the ones that I'm going to get rid of quickly for you. Now again, the thought that immediately comes to my mind as I noticed that was, I guess there are some problems in my life that are going to take a long time to solve. Some problems, the Jebusites and the Amorites, there are some problems that when I try to conquer them, they're not going to give way very quickly. And I'm going to be sweating and working at this problem and this problem. And I'm not going to get much victory. I'll keep on sweating and have to work a long time. But there's some other problems over which I'll be able to gain very quick and rapid victory. 
Now with that in mind, let's consider these two groups looking for clues as to what kind of problems we can expect to have quick victory over versus those kinds of problems that'll take a long time. Look at Numbers 13. Numbers chapter 13, you recall the setting here. The Israelites had arrived at Kadesh Barnea and they were to cross the the river Jordan to get into the land of Canaan. And they sent out some spies to say, well now, what is this land like? Is it going to be pretty tough to really live for Jesus? I'm mixing my metaphor with reality here. Is it going to be tough to conquer that land? Will I be able to really get with it for God and become more like Jesus very quickly? How, how difficult is the struggle of Christianity going to be? What's it going to be like? So the spies were sent to check out the land and to see how difficult it was going to be to enter into the realm of real maturity and spiritual reality. Notice in verse 22 of Numbers 13 that the spies when they had gone up into the south country the Negev they came to Hebron where Ahiman Sheshai and Tel Mei you're not sure how to pronounce those listen to the way that I pronounce them it's my guess I have no idea where these three men the descendants of Anak were the first people they noticed were who? the sons of Anak. Now look down at verse 28. They came back. Well, look at 27. They came back and told Moses, the spies, saying, We went into the land where he sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Yeah, I'd love to live for the Lord. I believe there's love and joy and peace and reality and self-control and being what Jesus wants me to be. I, I believe that it's a wonderful land to live that abundant life that God has for me. But you know what? It's tough. There are problems. 28. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And listen to this, Moses. Anak is there. That's what they're saying. There are many problems, but the greatest problems are the problems that Anak is there. They're the big ones. They're the giants that we're not sure if we could possibly handle. The others look pretty tough. But with Anak there, we haven't got a prayer. 29, there's other problems too. Amalek is living there, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites. They're living there. Verse 33, verse 32 rather. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone and spying it out. And again, remember the land now. If you don't have this point, you missed the whole sermon. That the land, I'm suggesting, is a picture of spiritual maturity. Becoming what Jesus wants us to be. Conforming to his likeness. The land that we spied out is a land that devours its inhabitants. There's lots of problems in living for the Lord. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. And we also saw Anak. That's verse 33. The sons of Anak are there. Now, it seems as you read that, you get the picture that he's saying that there are many problems, but there are some very big problems. There are some medium-sized problems in becoming more like the Lord. There are some medium-sized problems in entering the land of Canaan, but there are some huge problems as well. And Anak was a huge problem. Remember what God said? Who was going to be driven out quickly? Anak. The Jebusites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, all the rest of those. They would take a long time. Now you know what that seems to be saying to me is that the little problems that I have in my life, those day-to-day things where I lose my control over something, where I tend to gossip, where I tend to be kind of lazy, those little things. God is saying they're the ones that are going to take years to really work on the biggies. 
throw it a day. I'll take care of them right away for you. And it's going to fall rapidly. It's the other ones, the ones that aren't quite so big, that'll take a long time. As I thought about that, I said, well, that doesn't quite fit my life exactly. Sure, the little ones are taking a long time, but the big ones are still there. You know, when is Anna going to fall? I'm still plagued by a particular problem. I'm still plagued by a particular sensual thing in my life, which is blocking my becoming what I want to be in Jesus. God, when are you going to get rid of that for me? I'm going to do it today, Larry. Well, how about today? The Lord says, no, not going to be yet. The little problems going to be quick. I'm going to take a long time. The big problems will fall in a day. And I say, well, Lord, that puzzles me. Notice, though, that it all came about just as God said. Look at Joshua chapter 11. Recall that Joshua is the book describing when the Israelites finally got over the land of the river Jordan. In the land of Canaan, Moses had died. You recall that 12 spies were sent into the land and 10 of them said, we can't make it. The people rebelled and said, well, you're right, we can't make it. God isn't big enough. And so they wandered for 48 unnecessary years in the wilderness and everybody died except two. The two spies who said we can make it. Joshua and Caleb. And these two men lived on to get into the land of Canaan. And uh, Joshua became the general after Moses died. Joshua 1.1 says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now arise and get over the river Jordan in the land of Canaan. And Joshua, you lead the, you lead the troops. And Joshua went into the land of Canaan where there were many enemies. There were the Jebusites and the Amorites and all these tribes that were occupying the land that God said is yours. God said, Larry, I've given you peace. But I've got anxiety. I have an enemy. I've got to conquer that. Larry, I've given you love. But I've got a grudge. Well, Larry, get over the River Jordan and I'll conquer that for you. Well, how's that going to work? Those kind of problems. God said, take a long time. Joshua chapter 11, verse 18. Joshua waged war a long time with these kings. If you check out the age of Caleb, you'll have a basis for determining that Joshua spent about seven years in fighting these battles. Perhaps a little more. Seven years. He waged war for a long time with these kings. Well, with which kings? Well, with the kings that he talks about in verse 16. The, the, the people that were in the hill country, in the Negev, in the land of Goshen, the lowland, the Arab, or the hill country of Israel, and its lowland. These were the kings that lived in that particular part that Joshua took a long time to conquer. And if you'll check back sometime, don't do it now. If you want to check back sometime in Numbers 13, verse 29 you'll find that the kings that dwelt in these particular places were the ones that God said would take a long time to conquer. Just like God said, this particular group of problems, Joshua had to wage war for a long time to conquer them. But the sons of Anak fell quickly. Look at Joshua 15. In verse 14, you recall the story that Caleb, one of the two spies who said, Anak isn't too tough for God. We can handle Anak. But nobody else agreed with him. But Joshua... They wandered for 40 years. They come back into the land and Caleb is 40 years older now. But he says to Joshua, he says, I'm still as young as I was as far as strength. God has given me the power to still be a warrior for him. I want to go take Anak. That particular group of people, those giants that scared the wits out of the people of Israel, I want to go take care of their problem. And Joshua says, fine, go to it. And Joshua 15 and verse 14, you read that Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, the three names that I mentioned that the spies had seen when they crossed over the river Jordan 40 years ago. Sheshai and uh, Heman and Talmaya, the children of Anak, Caleb went in and drove them out. And if you compare that scripture with the last three verses in chapter 14, which you can do later, you'll notice that 
it is it seems to be clear that Joshua or that Caleb rather defeated the sons of Anak in a day defeated them quickly now it all came true as God said victory came hard with the smaller ones and it came easily with the bigger ones but is that how it really works in life wouldn't you think that the littler problems will be solved more easily and the bigger problems take a long time that isn't the way it works and to understand that you must notice my second observation which is the quick victories came after the slower victories did you notice that when the Anakim the sons of Anak were defeated they were not defeated they were not even attacked when Joshua first entered the land Joshua moves over the river Jordan and who does he attack the Anak no he attacks the other ones, the Jebusites and the Amorites and all those. And for seven years, they, he waged a long and slow and painful and costly, sweaty warfare against these lesser enemies. And finally, when he had them conquered, then Caleb went and took on the Anak, and they fell in a day. The principle that I want to suggest is this. Big problems are often solved quite easily after years of wrestling with little problems a corollary to that you will have no victory in the big problems no victory in handling those massive areas of your life that are giving you trouble that are really crippling your spiritual effectiveness you'll have no victory until you have consistent victory in the little areas that's an important point we should think about that is that a principle that runs through scripture are there other illustrations of that or is that just something which I extracted from these passages that's not there well there are other illustrations in scripture of this particular principle remember Goliath where was Goliath from what city anybody know Goliath of yeah I heard it yeah. Gath right Goliath of Gath why is that important Joshua 11. Listen to what it says. When Joshua defeated the Anakim through his servant Caleb, we read in verse 22 of Joshua 11, there were no Anakim left in the land of the sons of Israel, except there were a couple left in three cities. Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. What was characteristic of the Anakim? They were big. What was Goliath's main characteristic? He was nine feet tall. Goliath was likely a son of the Anakim. He lived in Gath where the Anakim were. He was one of them. How long did it take David to kill Goliath? Ten seconds? The Anak fell in a day. The big problem that had Israel petrified was wiped out in a moment by a little kid. Now, how do you account for that? Look at 1 Samuel 17. Remember David came to Saul and said, Saul, this Goliath of Gath has no business standing up to the armies of the living God. He has no business terrifying us. We have God on our side. And I want to go out and fight him since the rest of the soldiers are too scared. Verse 33 of 1 Samuel 17. And Saul said to David, 
you aren't able to go against this Philistine, for Samuel 17, verse 33, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. You're still a young kid. He's been fighting for years. That's too big a problem for you to handle, David. You can't touch it. And David said, let me tell you my qualifications. I've been wrestling with lesser problems for a long time. And therefore, I'm qualified. Look on. David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine. I love that phrase. Who is this guy anyhow? That's what he's saying. God's bigger than him. He's a nothing. I can handle him. Saul says, you can handle him? He says, sure, because I know God. I've been fighting the little battles for years. And God's proven himself in my life. I've never fought a giant like that before, but I know I can do it because other battles, which are very, very real, you know, lions and bears are nothing to play with, other battles which are very, very real, God has given me victory over them. And I know God now by experience in dealing with the smaller problems. I know he can handle this big guy. There's no difficulty for God. Let me go out and take care of him. Been wrestling for years with the smaller ones. That qualified him to take on the bigger one. And he went out and slew Anak in a day. In a moment. Just as the scriptures teach. The big problems fall easily. After years of wrestling. With preparation. With the little ones. Where God is holding you accountable. Let me ask you the question. What are your little battles? <clears throat> Things that you don't pay much attention to. Because you're so consumed with your big ones. Oh, gossiping. Just saying unkind things to people. Small temptations that you hardly bother to notice but regularly give in to. And figure, well, why should I worry about that? I've got bigger things to worry about. I've got to work on this big problem and you're working on it. You're trying to get over that grudge that you have or you're trying to get over that anxiety that you have or you're trying to get over that sexual problem that you have or whatever the problem might be. You're trying to get over it. And oh, victory's coming. And God says, wait a minute. How about getting down to the Little areas that you really could be handling now and aren't. What are you doing with those? Or has Satan tricked you? Has he used the big problems to get your eyes off of the fact that you're failing in the little ones? That's good strategy for Satan. Because you will not have victory over the big problems till you have victory over the little ones. Let me illustrate in the treatment of depression. A person comes to see me and they're seriously depressed. Well, what do you do? You tell the person, look, you've got to get on depressed. You've got to get up and live your life. The person just looks and says, can't do it. Then you get harsh and you pull out the Bible and you say, you can't say can't, you've got to be able to go out and do it. Now claim the power of God and go take care of your big problem. I've heard that before, it doesn't work. I can't do it. That's my anic depression, the person would say if they had heard the sermon. And I'd say, well... What can you do? Let's forget about the fact that you really can't go out and do all the things that would be nice if you could. Could you balance your checkbook this week? Maybe just wash the car? Could you do a little? Well, I could do that, but what good's that? Ah, that's the little problems. Work on those. Then what often happens is the person tries those and finds they're very, very hard. They come in the next week and said, I tried, but I didn't get it done. Try it again. Next week, I tried... Didn't get it done. Try it again. Keep struggling. Those little problems won't go away easily. It'll be a long battle for you. It'll be hard. 
Then one day, come in and say, I've been finally made a habit of solving those little ones. I've gotten myself into a routine. I'm doing such and such. How do you feel? Hey, I'm not depressed anymore. Anik is gone. You've taken care of the little problems. The big problems fall in a day when the little problems are taken care of. When I was in Dallas <clears throat> a couple of months ago, I talked to a fellow who told me a story that fit in with this. A fellow who had a particular wrong desire that was dominating him. All he could do was think about this wrong desire and obsess about it all the time. And um, he came to know Christ as his personal savior. He came to the point where he recognized he couldn't earn heaven. And he cast himself upon the finished work of Jesus and trusted him as a savior. And then he expected, now that I'm a Christian, that strong desire is going to go away. And it got worse. God, what are you doing? I thought Anik was going to fall in a day. And he struggled with it and struggled with it and got nowhere. He went to a friend of mine for counseling. And they began talking about this big problem that he had. My friend very perceptively said, well, how are you doing in some other areas of your life? And as he began talking, he found out that the fellow had never established, in this particular case, a regular devotional life. Spending time in scripture regularly, or prayer life. And he said, well, I guess you really can't get over this desire problem that you have right now. Let's forget about that and start working on a prayer life and a devotional life. Get that going regularly. The guy told me he struggled for two years to make a habit to force himself every day to spend time in Scripture and to pray. It was a battle that was hard to fight. Two years he spent trying to make it a real habit. After two years, he finally had the battle won. It became habitual now for him to spend time with the Lord every day in the Word and in prayer. <clears throat> and he told me that... Um, one day, shortly after the two-year period, he was driving along in his car, and he saw a particular stimulus that used to arouse this wrong desire, and it hit him like a slap in the face. The desire wasn't there. Anik fell in a day after two years of struggling with the lesser problems. <clears throat> Why does it work that way? Last point. It works that way because of the last observation that I want to make and spend just a few minutes on. There was a definite reason, third observation, a definite reason why the lesser enemies were defeated slowly. Look back at Exodus chapter 23 again. God had a very definite reason why they were not going to be defeated quickly. These lesser, these smaller problems that we often don't even pay attention to and are defeated inconsistently. He says in verse 29... I will not drive them out before you in a single year in order that the land may not become desolate, the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. I will drive them out before you little by little until you become fruitful and take possession of the land. What he's saying is this. He's saying that if you were to come into the land of Canaan, you're a new Christian now, and if you were to have all your problems solved for you right away, it wouldn't work very well. In the case of the Israelites, if that were to happen, your, your group is too small to, to have cultivation responsibility for all this land. If we were to destroy everybody else and give you the land right away, you aren't enough people to take care of the land. Besides that, a lot of wild beasts running around. And they'll destroy you. So let's let the other people stay there to keep the land tilled for you and to protect you from the wild beasts until you're big enough. Then I'll take care of them for you. You see? What is God saying? He's saying that if I were to come into my Christian experience and have all my little problems solved for me and just not have any struggles at all, what would happen? I'd lose my sense of dependence on Him. I haven't made it a day. And I, what would happen to my head? You know. Wouldn't it? 
What goes before a fall? The wild beasts come and devour. Who's the wild beast in First Peter? Satan's a roaring lion. The wild beasts devour the person who doesn't have to struggle. The person who gets his problems solved right away. God says, I don't want Satan to get you. I'm going to let you struggle for a while. Teach you dependence on me. Teach you my power. I want that faith of yours to grow so you're able to resist the fiery darts of the enemy. How does faith grow? Is it a light switch you put on your faith? No. Faith is more like a muscle. It needs to be exercised. It needs to be exercised. What do you do with a person who's badly out of shape? Tell them to jog 20 miles? Or kill them. You tell him to jog to the mailbox and back. Then when he has that down, then another couple of feet, his muscles grow. God says, take the little problems. Work on those. Exercise your faith on those. You can handle them. It'll be hard. Take a couple years. 10, 20, 30. Take a long time. But you work on those problems and your faith is going to get strong. Then the big ones come along. You'll have luck. Because your faith will be big enough to handle them. Some of you, <clears throat> are struggling with uranic right now and you're having no victory you're wondering why listen when victory comes it's going to come like that it's going to come quick but maybe not for a long time maybe not until after you successfully deal with all the smaller areas of your life which you really could handle if you tried might take some sweating, might take some hard work. But you start working on those problems that you can handle. You start working on those smaller areas that really are not that big obsessive central hang-up that you have. Sweat it out. If you want the victory, stop letting frustration over your failures keep you from working hard in other areas of your life. Are you committed to the Lord? Do you know Him as your Savior? Have you made the decision to trust Jesus alone to pay the price of your sins? If you haven't, then that's what you must do. Don't worry about working on your problems or anything else because that's where you must start, in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, if you have that, what do you do next? Fuss with the biggies? No. No. Get to work on the little ones. Take care of the little areas where you really could get a handle, but it'll be hard for you. It'll be hard for you. Start the long warfare against the Jebusite of laziness, maybe, against the Hittite of... No regular devotional life against the Amorite of irregular church attendance, against the Hivite of giving just a little bit to the Lord's work. That should get some of you. Against the Canaanite of working half-heartedly at your job. Work on those group. Take a long time. But once you get those knocked, Anak will fall in a day. And you'll be in the land of spiritual experience and victory. And you'll have some understanding of who God really is and your life will count for Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You have delivered us from Egypt by Your grace. Thank You, Lord, that we belong to You, not because we're solving problems in our lives. We have life with You, not because we're successfully working on big problems or little problems, but that we have life with You because You've given us life. You've paid the price of our sin have experienced the punishment that a holy God had to exact against our sins. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying that death. And thank you that because you died that death, that I stand right now as a cleansed, thoroughly acceptable person. Not because I'm any good, but because, Lord Jesus, you're perfect. 
and you took away my imperfection. You died for it. You paid for it. And you declared me righteous. Yet, Lord, there are many here who have done that, and yet we're still struggling. Lord, help us not to get so discouraged with the big things in our life that we fail to notice the little things. Help us to work in those areas that we could get a handle on. Help us to be patient. Help us not to be weary in well-doing, believing that we will reap if we faint not. Help us to labor to enter into that rest. Lord, help us to work. Your word tells us that we haven't resisted yet to blood. We haven't yet endured the difficulties that the Lord endured when he died for us, and so we have nothing yet to complain about. Lord, help us to patiently struggle with those areas of our life that are giving us fits. Lord, help us to work on these areas. And give us the victory as we continually, patiently, over time, months, years, years, get these problems solved. And then, Lord, we're looking forward to relief from those bigger problems that are keeping us from being like what you want us to be. Work in us to your glory to make us more like Jesus so that we can more effectively worship you and more effectively serve you. Lord, for those here this morning who don't know Jesus in a personal way, whose lives are messed up, maybe their lives don't look messed up, maybe they do. And yet, Lord, apart from you, there, there's no reality, there's no real purpose, there's no real power. For those who don't know you in a personal way, Lord, by your Spirit, work in their hearts, open their eyes. May they see who Jesus really is and what he's done. And turn to him and trust him to pay the price of their sins and then learn some of the difficult but immensely rewarding lessons of Christian growth. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb. To subscribe, visit LargerStory.com.